so much uh, that it's actually one of the most challenging messages I believe that I've ever preached. But anyway, here goes. A few years ago, Barna Research conducted a three-year study on churches. And in that study, they published their findings in this book called Unchristian. The results weren't too shocking. In fact, we probably kind of already knew what the outcome was. But Barna leveled three stinging blows to Christians. Their research said that Christians are viewed by non-churchgoers as hypocritical, anti-homosexual, and judgmental. Christians are viewed as hypocritical. Now there's a shocker for you, amen? We've all heard that at some point. Would you agree? But here's the question we need to ask today. Are we? Are we hypocritical? Like most things, the answer is probably a little bit yes and a little bit no. But the problem with that is, is that at least half of it is yes. So here's what's got my wheels spinning this morning. I want to know why. Why is it that some Christians are often hypocritical? Well, I don't have to tell you that sometimes people ain't nothing but big old fakes. Ever met somebody like that? We all have. But it's also true that not everyone intentionally becomes hypocritical. It's also true that many are living faithful Christian lives. But there are at least two reasons why many seem hypocritical at times. One is an issue of surrender. Those who are unwilling to walk with Jesus 24-7 are not surrendered to His will. So if you've got a problem with hypocrisy in your life, the underlying reason is, is really you're not surrendered. Or at least you're not surrendered in that area. The result of not being surrendered is you try to live the Christian life in your own power and that leads to hypocrisy because you can't do it. But there's a second reason and that second reason that some Christians are viewed as being hypocritical is sometimes we try to be something we ain't. If we're honest with ourselves, really we've got an identity problem. We profess to be born again, but we live like the world, so in all actuality, we ain't saved. And we all know that actions speak much louder than words, don't they? Don't they? Say amen if you believe it. But as we heard last week, there are millions of people 
who choose to live a life of rebellion, who choose to live a life of disobedience against God. And the Bible says that these rebels, and get this, and those who approve of their lifestyle will be held accountable. They will be held accountable, and at some point, they will feel God's wrath against their sin. But today, the Apostle Paul turns the spotlight of God's Word on people that we might call hypocrites. These people, man, they look right on the outside. But on the inside, they are just as guilty as the same sins of the wicked that we mentioned last week. So in the verses that I'm going to give you today, in these verses, the Apostle Paul reveals three truths that teach us much about the judgment of God against hypocrites. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Romans chapter 2. That's going to be one, page 1,000 in the Bibles in front of you. I want you to see this for yourself. Don't take my word for it. I want you to see it in your own Bibles. On page 1,000 in chapter 2 of Romans, beginning in verse 1, I want you to see the reasons for God's judgment against the hypocrite. Listen carefully. Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge. For whenever you judge another, you condemn yourself for you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of His goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance but in accordance with your hardness and your in uh, repentant heart you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God verse 1 there points out the sinfulness of the hypocrite reading it again you are inexcusable O man whoever you are who judge for whatever you judge another you condemn yourself for you who judge practice the same things. Now we all know what a hypocrite is. What's a hypocrite? Help me out. Do one thing, say another. What else? What's a hypocrite? Y'all know, y'all run into them all the time. You may run into one this morning. What's a hypocrite? Judgmental. What else? Think there's something that they're not. What's a hypocrite? Y'all are bouncing all around it. Not being what you appear to be. There's one word that surmises all of these things that y'all have said. Keep going. What is it? Huh? Pretend. That's good. Getting closer. Say it loud. Fake. Fake? Counterfeit? That's what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite are those who pretend to be something or to pretend to be someone they're not. 
And the Bible says that as surely as God's wrath comes on those who are guilty of openly sinful and openly wicked lives, so God's wrath will also be felt by the hypocrite. Why? Why? Primarily because of how the hypocrite condemns other people. One reason God judges the hypocrite is because the hypocrite assumes the place of God and says, you're condemned for what you do. He assumes the place of God, judging the life and the conduct of other people. Listen, friends, it's neither your place nor my place to condemn another person for their sins. Can I get a testimony? Amen? Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7. He said, judge not. We talked about this. In our life group this morning, the literal word for that word judge is condemn. Condemn not that you may not condemned. For with what condemnation you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you will use, I'm sorry, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but not, can, can, do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove that speck from your eye. Look, you got a plank in your own eye. Hypocrite, Jesus says. Hypocrite, exclamation point. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove it from the speck, the speck in your brother's eye. It's sin. It's sin. To condemn other people. But not only because of how he condemns others will he receive the wrath of God, but also because of his conduct in front of others. Here's what really takes the cake with the hypocrite. The hypocrite looks at another person and condemns them for what they do. But the hypocrite, God says, is just as guilty as the person he's judging. They may not do the same thing. Their sin may be a little bit different, maybe not as open, but their hearts, their hearts are just as rotten. Just as rotten. And that's one reason for God's judgment is the sinfulness of the hypocrite himself. Now, there's another reason. In the second section there, it points out not only the sinfulness of the hypocrite, but also the sentence of the hypocrite. Just as the wicked will be judged by God, so too will the hypocrite. Same judgment. In fact, the judgment that the hypocrite's going to face will be exactly the same. There'll be no difference. It's exactly the same judgment as the, the openly sinful person will receive. Now notice what Paul says about this coming judgment. There in verse 2, he openly declares the purity of the judge. But we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. Paul tells us that the judgment of God, the judgment of the hypocrite, will be based on the truth of what they are. Just like God's condemnation of that openly sinful person will be based on what they are. Same judgment. Never forget this. If you're listening, say amen. Man looks on the outside, God looks at the Y'all are right. God looks at the inside. What's on the inside? The heart. 
Man looks on the outside. God sees the heart. Don't ever forget that. That's the purity of the judge. But there's also, there in verse 3, we see the power of the evidence. Look in verse 3. And do you think this, O man, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? See, the evidence reveals the hypocrites are guilty of the sins they point out in others. Guilty of the same ones. Friends, the issue is not the state of one's life. The issue here is the state of one's heart. Where is your heart? You and I can be squeaky clean on the outside and have a rotten heart on the inside. What is the state of your heart? The issue is not life, but the heart. Proverbs chapter 4, the wisest man in the world said this in verse 23, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of the heart spring the issues of life. You can be nice and pretty on the outside, but really ugly on the inside. And many who sit in church pews all over the world and snoot their noses at people because of the way that they're living will someday face the undiluted wrath of God because their hearts are just as wicked as that person they're pointing out. So Paul points out the sinfulness of the hypocrite. He also points out the sentence to the hypocrite. But now he reveals the shame of the hypocrite. He's exposing just how sinful these hypocrites are. And he says in verse 4 that the hypocrite despises the blessings of God. Look there in verse 4. Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? See, it appears like like this old hypocrite's enjoying life. Everything's going his way. Business is good. Bank account's looking good. Everything's good in his life. Hypocrite wells up with pride and he says, you know what? I must be living pretty good. God's loving on me. He's really taking care of me. He's, a, he's outwardly blessing me. I must be doing something right. He wells up with pride because he isn't outwardly guilty of any of those sins of other people. And he thinks God must be really pleased with him. But the truth is, God is just giving him ample opportunity to change his ways. He's giving him ample opportunity to turn, to repent from his sins. See, it's the very goodness of God that should lead men to love him. If God has been good to you, man, you ought to be pouring out your love on God. Amen? This morning on my knees at, behind my desk, I prayed my prayer and I spoke the things that I wanted to speak to God. And I thought, you know what? I just need to shut up. I just need to, to hear from God for a moment. And so after about the third or fourth minute of just sheer silence and I didn't hear a word, all of a sudden a whisper that was as loud as I'm speaking to you. That's pretty loud, amen? And the Lord spoke three words to me. He said, I love you. And can I tell you, that's all I wanted to hear. 
can I tell you that's all I needed to hear? Well, when God is good to you, you ought to love him too. When God is good to you, man, you ought to, you ought to be led to serve him with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. When God is good to you, friend, you ought to seek an intimate relationship with him. But no, not the hypocrite. I'm already good with God. He sees the goodness of God as his stamp of approval. I'm already there. I've already arrived. I'm already where I need to be with God. He thinks his conduct is just fine. He thinks that his life is just fine. And therefore, by, by thinking that way, he's actually despising the blessings of God. But the next verse shows us that that hypocrite is damned by the very blessings he despises. Look there in verse 5. But in accordance with your hardness and your unrepentant heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Instead of gaining favor with God like he thinks, the hypocrite is actually storing up wrath against himself. You know, when we take the Lord for granted, when we take God's grace for granted, you know what the outcome is? Judgment. Don't do that. As surely as the wicked sinner will face his sins in the judgment of God, listen carefully, so too will the secret sinner. Now those are the sins that occur most often amongst church people. Outwardly, we're really pretty. Y'all look pretty this morning. Can I get an amen? Say, I'm looking good. Say, I'm looking good. I'm looking real good. But does that earn you any brownie points with God? Where's your heart? Where's your heart this morning? Do you know that hell, hell will be just as full of hypocrites as it will be with openly blatant sinful wicked people? That points out the reason for God's judgment on the hypocrite. But the next section shows us some realities. Some realities of God's judgment. Verse 6 says, here's a reality for you. You ready for this? Say amen if you're ready. Here's the reality. It's personal. The reality of God's judgment on the hypocrite is personal. Look in verse 6. Who will render to each one according to his deeds. See, according to this verse, God's judgment in the life of the person is an individual matter. In other words, every person is going to be judged based on their own sins. You will not have to pay for my sins. I will not have to pay for your sins. We don't pay for the sins of another person, nor does another person pay for your sins. God's judgment will be fair. God's judgment will be focused to each individual life. And God bases that judgment on what he knows about who. Say who. About who is in your heart. In Jeremiah 17, 10, the Bible says, I, the Lord, search the heart. 
I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. Hebrews says, There is no creature from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The judgment of the hypocrite is going to be very personal. But the judgment of the hypocrite will also be proper. Look in verse 7. Eternal life, praise God, to those who by patient continuance in doing good seek for the glory, honor, and immortality. But to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, they'll receive indignation and wrath, tribulation and anguish on every soul who does evil to the Jew first and also the Greek. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Friend, the basis of God's judgment is sin. It's sin. I don't want to oversimplify this, but the verses here say, if you're living according to God's word, if you're seeking the heart of God, guess what? You're going to be blessed by him. I'm not saying that challenges won't come your way because they will. We live in a fallen world surrounded by fallen people in a fallen body. I'm not saying that you won't have tribulation. You will, but you know what? He's going to bless you. But if you deny God, if you live for self, if you're disobedient, you will likewise receive judgment. You see, in eternity, everything hinges on who's in here. In eternity, everything hinges on what a person does with Jesus Christ. Men are never saved by their works. Salvation always has and always will come through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ on a cross like that one. So the judgment of the hypocrite is going to be personal, but it's going to be proper too. But it will also be perfect. This verse tells us here in verse 11, let's read it together. There is no partiality with God. That's good news, amen. Because this verse tells us that nobody's going to receive special treatment from God. Perfectly fair, perfectly balanced, no partiality, no favoritism. Every person will be judged by exactly the same criteria. Jesus Christ and whether or not you've got a relationship with him or not. The same criteria. He doesn't single out some for heaven and others for hell. No, he gives all men and women, all children, ample opportunity, and he always does it fairly. No favoritism, no partiality. So there we have the reasons and both the realities of God's judgment. But then Paul finishes. And he starts sharing the realization of God's judgment on the hypocrite. Verse 12 says he's going to base that judgment on their rebellion. Look in verse 12. For as many have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And as many have sinned with the law, they'll be judged by the law. What does that mean, Bill? The basis of God's judgment is sin. That's what he's going to judge, is sin. All those who sin must pay the price of a sinner. If you knew the law and you sinned, you'll be judged. 
If you didn't know the law and you sin, you'll be judged. According to Ezekiel 18 and verse 20, any soul that sins shall die. Listen to what he says completely. In Ezekiel 18, 20, the soul who sins shall die. The son shall not bear the guilt of the father, nor the father bear the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. So the bottom line is this. God's judgment will be realized by everyone who dies in their sins when they leave this world. Sounds like pretty sad news to me, doesn't it, to you? But praise God, he sent a remedy for sin. There is but one remedy for this sin condition that every one of us share. And that is the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Friend, if your faith is not in the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, I hate to tell you this, but if your faith is not there, you have no hope. What a way to live. No hope. No hope. And then verse 13 goes on to share what their reaction will be. Look in verse 13 with me. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law are justified. We talked about this in our life group this morning. Man, you can know this book forwards, backwards, and every word in it. But if you don't do it, you ain't got nothing. So we have to do what it is we learn. We have to do what we know. Verse 14, For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although having the law, they're a law to themselves, who will show the work of the law, get this, written on their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness. And between themselves, their thoughts accusing or else excusing themselves. You know, a lot of people are tempted to say, Bill, no hope? If I'm a hypocrite, I'm going to be judged by God? The wrath of God's going to fall on me? I mean, is that fair? What about the people who were never exposed to the Word of God? Is that fair to them? I mean, will those people still be held accountable for right and wrong? The short answer is, yes, they will. Because we just discovered, friend, that the, these verses make it perfectly clear, very plain, that every man, every woman has a conscience. Now, many of you know those who have chosen not to follow that conscience. But they have a conscience. They have this inner thing that guides them and tells them the difference between right and wrong. You see, every person born into this world receives light from God. That light might be bright. 
that light might be very dim. But if this person will just follow the light that's been given to them, that light will lead them face to face with Jesus Christ. Somehow, some way. So God's judgment here is based on man's reaction to the light he's been given. But finally, in verse 16, the Bible says that God's judgment focuses on a reality. Look in verse 16 with me. In the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. You see, there's a, a day coming when God will judge every single man and every single woman. The day is coming when all the secrets of men and all the secrets of women will be revealed. Listen to what happened in Luke chapter 12. In the meantime, when an innumerable multitude of people had gathered together so that they trampled on one another, Jesus began to say to his disciples, first of all, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed, nor hidden that will not be made known. For whatever you have spoken in the dark will be heard in the light, and whatever you have spoken in the ear in the inner room will be proclaimed on the housetops. There's a day coming when every single person will face the reality of what their life was. What is going to be the basis of that judgment? It's very simple, friends. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Man's eternity, women's eternity rises and falls based on what they do with Jesus. You know, on that day, it will not matter about all your earthly accomplishments. On that day, it will not matter how your community thinks of you. On that day, friend, it will not matter what I thought of you or anybody else thought of you. All that will matter on that day is what did you do with Jesus? What did you do with Jesus? Did you receive him? Or did you reject him? Did you turn away from your sin? Or did you cling to your sin, stubbornly refusing to bow before the Lord Jesus? Listen carefully. Your eternity totally depends on what you do with Jesus. Not what you read about Jesus. Not what you study about Jesus. But what you do with Jesus. You know, there's a verse in the Bible that is so crystal clear 
that even a dumb old rock like me can get it. John, the apostle, the only apostle that stayed with Jesus until the day he was crucified, wrote this in real succinct, simple terms that even a hard head like me can get it. He said in 1 John 5, 12, He who has the Son has the life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have the life. It doesn't get any simpler than that, y'all. What have you done with Jesus? What are you doing with the Lord Jesus? You know, last Sunday, our hearts were stirred to think of all those people living in open wickedness before the Lord. We rehearsed all those filthy, ugly, low sins that people commit in this world. But shouldn't we be just as stirred up about any soul that, had, that denies the Lord? I mean, think about it. The end result for them is the same. Whether you're living in open, rebellious wickedness, or you look good on the outside, but inside you're still rotten. The end result's the same. I mean, why are we so quick to accept the hypocrite while turning our back on the homosexual? Think about it, friend. In the heart of the matter, they are identical. In the heart of the matter, it's the same thing. They're hell bound with no chance of being with God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, help us to examine our own hearts today. Friend, are you genuinely saved? And it occurred all those years back. Did you really place all of your faith and all of your trust in what Jesus did on the cross? Or, if you're honest with yourself, we're examining ourselves here. Are you facing the judgment of God with nothing more than a hypocrite's heart? I can't answer that question for you. You can't answer that question for me either. So I'm going to leave it with this. I'm going to ask you to examine yourself. And during this invitation song, I want to ask you just to do what you know you need to do. Let's pray. Our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, Father God, we praise you, we thank you, and we thank you for the sweet, sweet spirit of God that has filled this place today. Father, I know, as well as you know, there have been many times in my life where I have been